Today we're going to be reading from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hey everybody, uh, I hope you've had a great week, and isn't it another week of change? This week, the, the big change in my life is, after what, 14 weeks, I finally got back into the pool this week, and just that first, this was a heated pool by the way, uh, just that first push off and just being in the water was amazing. Although in the last 14 weeks, I think Emma has, has shrunk every single pair of swimmers that I own, because they're all awful right from the waistband. And somebody seems to have replaced the water with custard, because it was very, very hard to swim through. Things are changing, aren't they? 20 people we're allowed to have in our house now. That means we've had to do the washing up for the first time in 14 weeks. Um, and I don't know whether you saw it, Scott Morrison on Friday said that uh, once we reach stage three, gatherings won't just be limited to 100, but they'll actually be anything up to 10,000 people, as long as we can keep the four square meter rule. Look, it, it kind of means that we were thinking church wouldn't be getting back together before next year, but it will almost be certain to before then, and kind of watch this space. Does it feel to you a little bit like things are careering ahead? We kind of thought it was going to be this long, slow, measured climb out of uh, out of COVID. We're talking about leaving the um, the traffic jam on the freeway, but it's almost like the image that was in my head this week was uh, for those of you who are of a certain age. Do you remember back pedal brake bikes, where you you the brakes would you'd be pushing your your pedal backwards? Do you remember going down a hill on the back pedal brake bike and inevitably what would happen is that your chain would come off, which meant that, of course, you were careering down the hill with absolutely no brakes at all? I kind of feel a little bit like that's what's happening with COVID. We're heading down there, we're careering down a hill, we haven't got any brakes, and we're going to wait and see what happens, And but watch this space, isn't it great that God's in control? I was always thinking about the, that image this week of the, the back pedal brake bike which I don't, I'm assuming they don't have them anymore because they were definitely unsafe. I, was, I had this, this kind of a, an attack of nostalgia of things that were part of my childhood that aren't part of my life now. These things like Saturday morning cartoons, getting up on a Saturday morning to watch the cartoons. Now I just want to sleep in on a Saturday morning and have a long, slow breakfast and a cup of coffee. There are certain things that are part of your life as a child that leave your life as you move into adulthood, and then I imagine there are things that uh, that when you get very old, it's a different set of things. I'll have to ask Dave Allen about that, but there are certain things that you leave behind as a child, but there are some things that are the same all the way through life. Certain things, they're with you as a child, and they're still with you in very old age, and one of those is arguments, anger and dispute and difficult relationships. As soon as we're capable of relationships, we start having hard ones, and they stay with us to the end of our life. The issues change. You know, in crash, it's one toddler crawls over to another toddler and belts him on the head with a toy and takes it. And, and then it kind of shifts and changes. You, you reach primary school, and the argument there is about whether or not your ball was in or out in handball. And then you go to high school, and then the arguments are a little bit more complex. It's kind of, are you in or out of our social group? And she said this, and he said that. And and then you go to work and there's, you discover all this workplace politics and then you get married and it's a lot more complex. And then as you, I kind of imagine, to be honest, 
that we're all going to be in the old folks' home, and it won't be peace. There will still be the intrigues, and there'll still be the arguments, and there'll still be the fights, because fighting and arguing with people is just part of life all the way through from beginning to end, isn't it? But, you know, there's one attitude that we carry with us. There's one mindset that we carry with us all the way through life when it comes to arguments, and we approach every single argument with this mindset. The mindset is there has to be a winner and a loser. Every argument we ever have, we, we generally approach this. There has to be a winner and, an arg- and a loser. That is, in this argument, one of us is right and the other of us is wrong. One of us is in the right and the other of us is in the wrong. And my job in this argument is to show you that you're the one in the wrong and your job in this argument is to prove to me that I'm the one in the wrong and generally the person who speaks last or loudest or longest or who doesn't give in, they're the one who wins. That's kind of the attitude we take into almost every argument all the way through our life. Of course, the older you get, the more you realise that sometimes we can't work out the winner or the loser, can we? Sometimes neither of us is willing to admit that we're the one in the wrong. Sometimes we can't even spot what the original wrong was anymore. There have been so many things that have been said and so many things that have been done, it's just become like this knot that can never be untied. Sometimes there is no winner and loser. We just both end up losing. Are there people in your life right now that you're having arguments with? Is there a relationship in your life at the moment that has broken down and you're both busy trying to prove that the other one is the one in the wrong and that you're the one in the right and you're just finding that both of you are losing out? Are there relationships in your life like that at the moment? Well, look, today... James gives us a perspective on broken relationships and arguing that is incredibly insightful. It's incredibly helpful. But it's also really, really challenging. Now, what I should say is, James is not about to give us a universal law for every single argument. James isn't saying this is the case in every single argument, but he is giving us an incredibly helpful insight that will very often hold true. Have a look in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? See, what causes fights? We generally think it's about you. What you did to me. What you said to me. You don't respect me. You you hurt me. And so the goal of the argument is for me to prove that you're the one who is wrong. The goal of the argument is winners and losers. But James says, no, 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 no. What really causes the fights between us is the battle within us. So look in verse 1 again. What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? That is, the primary battle here is not the one between us, it's the one within us. James is using a play on words here. That's a play on words in terms of battle, what causes wars among us, he says. It's the war within us. And it's a play on words about between and within. 
What causes this fight between us? It's the fight within us. Long before there's ever an argument between us, there is a battle going on inside of me. And James says, it's a battle of my desires. And look, the the word that James uses there for desires, it's a really powerful word. It's a really evocative word. It's a word, it's almost animalistic. It's hungers. It's cravings. It's urges. It's that, have you ever wanted something so deeply, so powerfully, you could feel the longing for it in your gut? That's what James is talking about. That within me are these powerful animalistic urges and they're fighting against each other. There's a battle going on because some of them are good. Some of them come from God and I know what God's word is and I really do want to obey him. I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be. Some of these urges are good, but some of them are evil. Some of them I really want and I hunger for evil. And human beings are like that, aren't we? The world likes to divide people into good people and bad people. There are bad people who do bad things and there are good people who do good things. The fact is we are not either good or bad. James pictures us here that we are this battleground between good and evil. And every single human being is capable of incredible good when those urges and desires are in, but also capable of massive evil. Paul talks about the same kind of battle in Romans. Have a look in uh, Romans. So he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? See, Paul even uses the same language of a war between God's law that I delight in. I really do love it and I want to obey it, but the sin also that I crave and I hunger for it. And these things are battling it out within me. And James says, this is the cause of our fights. The cause of the fight is not so much the battle between us as the battle inside of me. And look, this is where this is one of those places where God's word really shines a light onto human nature, doesn't it? God's word is so different to us here. Because how do I think of myself in an argument? I like to think of myself that I am incredibly objective and I'm very reasonable and I'm very realistic about this. We don't get on for very simple reasons. It's because of what you said to me. And I can remember how this all started. I remember the first time you said the wrong thing to me and I've seen all of the different times ever since. The solution is only too clear to me because I'm very reasonable and objective about this. You just need to apologize and admit that you're in the wrong. That's how we like to think of ourselves, isn't it? But James says, not a bit of it. We are anything but objective. We are this turbulent mix of desires and and emotions and fears and bitterness and anger, all of them warring together. This is as much about what's going on in here as it is over there. Now, one illustration I've heard 
Well, one way of expressing this that I, that I think really brilliantly helps us here is the difference between two things, our position in an argument and our interest in an argument. Every single dispute or argument that I ever have, I have a position, a stated position, but I also have an interest. And my position is what's coming out of my mouth. It's my points, the points that I'm making. It's my logic, it's my reason, it's my arguments, it's the case that I am presenting. That is my position. It's all of my reasons for thinking that you're wrong. My interest is what's going on in my heart, my emotions, my desires, my fears, my hurts, my baggage. Why this matters so much to me. Because my position, my stated position and my actual interest can be very different. So let's think for a moment about a purely hypothetical argument that has never actually happened in our family. Imagine for a moment, Emma comes to me and she says, so Greg, I notice that you happen to leave the car on complete empty again and the orange light's on and there's no, no petrol left in the car. No, not that Emma would ever have said this to me. This, this situation has never actually occurred in our house. And she says to me, look, Greg, it's important that you fill the car up because sometimes when I'm going out, I, I might be running late. The children have made me run late and, and I, I'm not going to have time to fill the car up. I might be going straight onto the freeway. There isn't going to be a petrol station for a bunch of very obvious logical reasons, here is why, Greg, I would like you to fill up now. That is Emma's position. It's very logical. It's very reasonable. It's very correct. Her interest may actually be something very different altogether and much harder to spot and even harder to say. Greg, this matters to me because when you leave the car and empty, I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like you think your time is more important than my time. And your convenience is more important than my convenience. You see, Emma's position is all about practicalities and reason and logic, but her interest is actually about something far more powerful, whether or not she's being loved and respected. That's why sometimes in arguments, people's emotions and their logic seem so out of kilter. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and, and you feel like saying, why are you so upset about this? Even you're saying it's only about this. What is the big deal? It's just about this. I just did this. I just didn't do this. I just said this. And there seems to be so much emotion behind it. Because it's not what comes out of our mouth and position. It's these warring desires in our heart. Now, of course, the thing that James adds to this is that he says our interest, the things battling in our heart, it's a battle between loads of good desires and loads of bad desires. My illustration uh, about Emma only, really only touched on good desires, being loved and being respected, which is only fair, of course, because Emma is a paragon of virtue. But in reality, we're all a turbulent mess, aren't we? All these things going on in our heart, all these conflicting passions and desires of good and evil, and all of these things feed into the argument. It is never as simple as, you did this to me. Very rarely is it that simple. You did this to me. It's a battle of desires within. And look, in verse 2, James begins to go through some of these desires in a little bit more detail. Have a look in verse 2. He says, you desire, but do not have. So you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's why we fight, isn't it? I have this powerful desire, this yearning, this this hunger for something, and it could be it could be wealth. I, I wish I had more money than I have now. I wish I had more possessions. I'm tired of having the junk things that I've got. It could be success or recognition. Why is it that nobody sees what I've got to offer? Why is it that I'm constantly overlooked when it comes to work? It could be a spouse. Why is it that nobody will love me? Why is it that I can't find this person I'm going to share the rest of my life with? We want those things deeply, passionately. But they prove elusive. For some reason, God doesn't give them to us. And that leads me to anger. I feel this great sense of bitterness and anger rising with me in me. Frustration. Why has God not given it to me? And I try and do the right thing. I try and shake it off. I try and learn contentment. But what happens is, in my heart, this anger and this bitterness builds and then... I notice that you have this thing I want. God has given you this thing that I desire so greatly. And and it's even worse, of course, when the person complains about having that thing. Oh, it's such a burden having this successful. Oh, my husband, you should. Oh, my children. I see you complaining about the thing that I desperately want. And then I begin to covet it. What's coveting? Coveting is seeing what someone else has and desiring it with bitterness. Coveting is not seeing what someone else has and just liking it or, or hoping that you could have it. It's not going, oh, that's a really lovely car they've got. I hope one day I might be able to get that car myself. That's not coveting. Coveting is when it becomes personal. It's thinking, you don't deserve that. Why did God give that to you? I resent you having that thing. That is, coveting changes the way I feel about you. And James says, when I do that, it begins, it leads me to begin to quarrel with you. And you don't even know why I'm quarreling with you. You think, well, what have I done to you? I just bought a new car. I resent you. So I start to fight with you. Maybe even kill you. Now, does that last bit sound a little bit bit over the top, a bit of an exaggeration? feels like it, doesn't it? Think of David and Bathsheba. The man sees, longs, covets, and kills. It maybe mightn't reach killing, but think about the bitterness that you see within marriages, the bitterness that you see in workplaces and the misery that we cause each other. James is not drawing a long bow here. Can you think of a conflict that's like this in your life? You have a bad relationship with someone, but it's not because of anything that they have done to you, or at least not even primarily. It's because you've lost that internal battle in your heart. I've seen the way this has affected my relationship with some people in the past. There have been times in my life where there have people, been people who have had more possessions than I've had. Their stuff is just nicer than mine, and it's, and it's hard for me not to blame them. One that I felt more is people who had a happier childhood than I did, and whose extended families just work, and they holiday together, and there are loads of Christians in there, and I find myself 
blaming them for it. Because for whatever reason, God hasn't didn't give me that childhood and hasn't given me this life extended Christian family. I feel this in my own heart. And so here's big application number one from today. Do you need to stop and think into some of your relationships? You might be telling yourself that your anger at this person is purely reasonable and objective and it's because they did this to you or they didn't do what they should have done. Is it actually more your desires battling with you? Is it that you're coveting something they have? In fact, do you need to go and apologize to this person and say, look, this was never about you. It was actually much more about me. And you're not the perpetrator, you're the victim. You're the victim of the bitterness and battling desires in my heart, and I'm really sorry. Do you need to actually reach out to someone and make peace? Now look, it's worth saying, not every conflict is like this. I don't think James is saying that. What he's saying is so many of our conflicts are like this. Sometimes it is what someone did to us, but James is giving us a brilliant insight here into the nature of conflict that will hold true so often in life. But, you know, James also gives us another reason why fights occur. That I'll be honest with you, this week I've just, this has been turning over in my mind again and again. He says one of the reasons that we fight each other is that we don't ask God. So look in verse 2. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, there's this thing I want. I'm really hungering for it. It's that desire, that passionate desire. But instead of asking God for it, for some reason, I covet you having it and I get angry with you and I create a fight with you, which seems strange, doesn't it? It seems strange that we would do that. Why Why would I get angry with you and cover your thing instead of asking God for it? It seems illogical. But when have human beings ever been logical? I think the way it works is this. Somehow, when I'm denied something, it's easier for me to get jealous of you and bitter at you. It's easier to do that than it is to talk to God. See, there's something really... Addictive. There's something really emotionally satisfying about resenting someone else for what you don't have. It gives me a target for my grief. It gives me a target for my anger. It gives me someone to blame, especially if I'm not sure I can blame God. I can at least take out my pain and my anger on you, and I don't have to ask myself if I'm responsible for this. I don't have to ask myself what my emotions are or what my motives are. I don't even have to ask myself whether it would be good for me to have this thing. I just get to blame you. But as soon as I talk to God about it, well, that brings God into the picture, doesn't it? And I know that God is not fooled by my excuses. I know that God is not fooled by my point of position. I know that God sees my internal war. God sees my desires battling within me, and God also knows whether it would be good for me to have this thing. I know that as soon as I start to pray about this, I'm going to have to acknowledge all of that before God, you know, and it's just so much easier to blame you. 
there is to talk to him. So James says, why would God ever give you something you haven't brought to him? Why would God ever fulfill a desire that you haven't shared with him? Why would God fulfill desires that have only led you to hate someone else? And so big application number two for today. Be honest with God. Is there something in your life that you haven't got at the moment? Is there a, an unfulfilled desire, an unfulfilled yearning, and you really want it passionately? Be honest with God. Go to God and tell him that you really want this thing and tell him that you're sad, that you're brokenhearted for not having it. Confess to him your internal war. Confess to him your desire, your temptation to get angry with someone else. Tell him about the bitterness that you're feeling and ask him to help you to deal with it. Be honest with God about this unmet desire. Which, of course, doesn't mean that God will immediately say yes, does it? Because look at what James says in verse 3. He says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. <laughs> See, sometimes even when we do go to God, we can ask for even good things with bad motives. When James uses the word pleasures there, he does mean bad motives. He, it's actually the same word as desires up in verse 1. He, we can go to God and, and our passions, our cravings, our urges, that animalistic desire that is, sometimes in my desire for things, the evil part of it actually comes out on top so that I even want good things for bad reasons. So I want money, which is a good thing from God, but I want money so I can spend it on myself, so I can make myself look better and then be kind of higher up the chain than someone else. I want a spouse, which is a good thing, a spouse so they can sleep. I want a spouse that everyone else is going to think how, how great I am because of look at her. I want a spouse who's going to make my life better. Or I want kids, which is a good thing. But I want kids who are going to lead other people to respect me because of all of their achievements that I'm going to push them to achieve. See, sometimes we can want even really good things, but in that turbulent mix of motives within us, it's actually for the bad motives. <laughs> And sometimes God will choose not to give us good things until we've started to sort through our motives. Now, of course, we're never going to have entirely pure motives. To, to wait until that moment when your motives are actually there, that'll never happen this side of heaven. But look, God is a good father. And he can see into my heart. And he knows when something would be bad for me. He knows when my motives in having this thing, my reasons for liking it, won't actually be good. There was a point in my life where God denied me an inheritance. My father died, and he died without a will, and that meant that my brother and I actually received no inheritance. And at the time, I was tempted to feel a little bit disappointed. I look back now, and I think, good call, great call. Because at that point in my life, I didn't have the maturity to handle the kind of money that would have come to me. It would have been a damaging thing to myself, to our marriage, and to other people. 
Sometimes God will say no because he can see our motives better than we can. He can see that those battling desires. And so big application three for today. Ask yourself this. Is there something that God hasn't given you yet? In the cold light of day, would you give yourself that thing? If you, knowing, knowing your motives, even as imperfectly as you do, would it be a good thing really for you to receive that? Can you trust God that he does know what's best for you? Is it that maybe you actually need to grow up a bit, grow in maturity a bit, before God will give this thing to you? Ask God to show you your motives. Ask God to help you to sort out that internal battle within us. Don't you love God's word? It's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to understand and it's very often not easy to live. It says hard things to us. But what I love about this passage is it has such a brilliant insight into human nature. What causes fights among us? Much less the you said and you said and you did and you're in the wrong. And much more this turmoil of battle, of desires battling occurring within me. Much more that you have something I want and so I resent you for having it. Much more that I don't ask God for these desires and let him decide whether or not I actually should have them. I'm going to pray that God will help us to work these things into our lives, that this will shape the relationships we have. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge before you this morning that we are not the simple, logical, perfectly reasonable people we like to think that we are. Even as imperfectly as we know our own hearts, we can see these battling desires within us both good and bad, and we know that sometimes the evil desires do win this battle. We want things for terrible reasons, and we blame other people for having them. And we fight them, we curse them, and we blame them, and we hurt them. Father, we thank you that your word shines a bright light on the murky mess of a human heart. Father, we pray that you would help us if, for those of us who are in conflict at the moment, and that's lots of us. Please help us to see whether this is what we've said and done or whether this is an issue in our heart. Please give us insight there. And if we need to apologize, we pray that we will. Father, for those of us who are feeling the frustration of unmet desires, rather than blaming others, we pray that we would ask you we pray that we would pour out our internal battle to you. And then we pray that we would trust you, that you know the right time and place to say yes or no, that you know our hearts better than we do, and you know good better than we do. And so we trust you, Father. Amen.